Did the sirens get you? <laughs> I was going to say, the sirens in the background. Was the sirens the boring police? Because they were like, Martin's droned on so long, the boring police sirens are coming outside to come get him. I'm sitting by an open window. And I said, like, before we've even finished this conversation, we're going to hear them about 12 times for sure. and welcome back to The Human Element, Kara's podcast focused on finding ways to inject humanity and insight into modern marketing. Today, I'm here with Martin Porter, EVP at a Home Lead, and Mark Bartholomew, SVP at a Home at Dunsale. Thank you both for joining. Hi. Thank you. It's been here. Yeah, absolutely. So before we dive into the actual content today, do you mind telling us a bit about your role and how it's evolved over the past few years? I'll start. You're going to hear two British voices anyway, so it doesn't really matter which one of us goes first. So the people aren't confused. I'm the Martin of the, the two halves of the speaking today. My role is I head up the outfoam group here within the investment team here at Dentsu. My role has evolved a fair amount over the last couple of years as we have taken what was Posterscope as a standalone agency in Dentsu and as part of our transformation, moved it into the broader Dentsu investment team, which is you know, there's some really great positives that have brought us closer to some of the other channels as part of that. So still part of a transformation journey, but that's kind of where I've come from and I guess where I'm going. Yeah, and I'm Mark Bartholomew. I support Martin on the Out of Home team. I run a couple of the day-to-day planning teams. So I work particularly with the Detroit team on GM. I also work across now at the iProspect business. I guess the biggest change of my role over the last couple of years has been the introduction and the implementation of programmatic out of home. I had started the journey on this about two or three years ago and was put in charge of, of really bringing control and capability back into the out of home team, which we've done quite successfully. And, and obviously since the pandemic, there's been a lot of focus on programmatic, particularly with the flexibility and the speed at which you can activate in market now. Yeah, so that leads into the next question. How has the pandemic shifted or accelerated or even kind of dropped certain things off in the out-of-home category? Yeah, I think out-of-home in the the first instance of when pandemic hit and we went into lockdown and suddenly people were stuck at home, it's not a surprise to say out of home took one of the biggest hits. Audiences were not out on the street. I'm sure any of the listeners here can probably have stories from their own towns or cities where they lived where you know you could walk out on the street and be like, wow, where, where is everyone? So we definitely saw a big drop there. However, what we have now seen is, you know, obviously with vaccinations and and various things of people feeling more comfortable being outside and people desperate to be outside, we are getting back to maybe not exactly the same things we were doing every day in terms of the specific tasks, maybe such as going to an office or not, but certainly the amount of time people are spending out of home is back to to where it was. And in some instances, like traffic numbers and, and people counts are higher than they were pandemic. And I think people were just desperate to get out. So we have seen as much as we saw a big drop in the pandemic last year and this year, we're seeing a huge amount of growth and so many more advertisers, not only coming back to out of home, but more advertisers actually looking at it as a, as a channel that maybe didn't look at it before. I would just build on what Martin was saying there, actually. I think I look at it as, as kind of two sets of clients. The first were the spenders in out of home before the pandemic. Everyone seemed to cut spend. But actually, when audiences and, and footfall started to recover, 
a lot of brands realized that they were missing out on, on upper funnel media and needed that brand awareness. So we've seen a lot of those flood back to the channel. In addition to that, and, and certainly through programmatic now, we're seeing a lot, a lot more uh, new clients come into the space as well. So a lot of digitally native brands are now executing programmatically in the out-of-home space as well, which has given us another dimension that we didn't really have pre-pandemic, or at least if we did, it was in a small amount. So that leads actually is great into consumers. So how do you leverage human insight in your experiences when you build for brands for out-of-home campaigns? We've got a bunch of tools, actually, that we use internally. So uh, a lot of people within the Dentsu community will be familiar with M1 Planner and, and what used to be CCS. We've got our own out-of-home consumer survey as well, which asks consumers specific questions about their relationship with out-of-home, whether that's you know what mode of transport they use, what formats and environments they're, they're noticing advertising in, how they feel about that how they feel about the content on those screens or billboards as well. And then, of course, we've got, we've got multiple data sets that, that allow us to look at the locations they're spending their time in as well. We've built a really, really cool set of proprietary tools, enabling us to essentially ingest any data set with a location reference to understand more about where our consumers are spending their time. And obviously, from there, we can take that information, plan and buy the, the optimum inventory to reach them. Has there been any largest shifts or surprises in that study in the past two years or no, things that you normally expect? The, I think the big one is the shift towards more roadside billboards. Uh, and we've seen that through our location partners. You know, I think people are still, to an extent, quite nervous to use public transport in, in some instances and in some markets. We've seen a huge shift towards roadside billboards and street level formats. And, and you can understand that as well. I would say that's probably the biggest shift. And then just the way in which advertisers are activating now, a lot lot shorter term than they were before, coming to market four to six weeks before campaign goes live rather than three, four months before. And of course, again, programmatic, which I've mentioned a couple of times now, just enables them to do that at speed and with a lot more ease than they were able to before. I also think there's an element of... Of course, we did see some changes in behaviours uh, during the, the pandemic and lockdown. And of course, you know, there's, there's lots of things that have been written in, in all sorts of press around how our world has completely changed and the way we live our lives has completely changed. And there is an element of that, that 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 is true. Will everyone go back to work five days a week? Maybe not. Maybe time will tell. We're still very early on in that sort of, you know, is this a generational thing or is it just a blip in time? But I think what is key is even though there are societal changes, fundamentally, people are still back to now going about living their daily lives. We haven't, yes, I might not be going to an office five days a week, but it doesn't mean that I'm holed up at home and I've completely changed the way. People are still going out and meeting friends and, you know, some of those tasks and the order in which we do those tasks have changed, but I don't think yet, and I will say yet because time will tell, that we have really seen anything other than what was a blip in time in terms of big fundamental changes to how humans are living their life out of home. Yeah, I mean, I think that's also a great point. I, it'll be interesting to see how all of the younger generations have been buying homes and moving to the suburbs, which is interesting. I wonder if that will change numbers or how effective billboards or out-of-home will be. Yeah. Mark, I don't know. To whoever's creating the billboards on the parkway in Jersey, this is a shout-out. I can't 
look at that guy Rob who sells homes anymore on every billboard. The Remax guy. The Remax <laughs> yeah. guy. I know Everyone him. I don't even live Remax in Jersey, guy. but I know the Remax guy. Every time I drive, I go through the Lincoln Tunnel. I'm like, he must be selling a lot of homes to have that many billboards in Jersey. Good for him. It works. Out of home must work. Honestly, and now we're helping him sell homes. We're now helping him. So, Rob, if you're out there, you owe yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think the biggest misconception of out of home has been? This is probably a little bit more personal to me. I still think a lot of clients use out of home as a vanity play rather than a tangible way to reach their audiences. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. But if you adopt that approach only, I think you're missing out. And I do think and feel that out of home is is a tangible media channel to reach people quickly at scale and with ease now, particularly with the, with the way we can execute. I, I just think some folks are missing a trick by just using that vanity play. Actually, I think building off of that, if you're saying, you know, it's a way to build awareness and brands really quickly, it totally is. And it's where out of home has, has always performed really well. But I also think part of the misconception now is, is that is all it can do. And yeah. people will go... I only need it if I'm, and it's why things like movie studios and use out of home a huge amount because they need to get butts in seats on the opening weekend of a movie and it just gets you mass brand awareness really quick. Like, great job. We know out of home can do that. But I think with the amount of audience data that we can use to be more targeting, as, as, as Mark said, and also the fact that as humans, there's barely anyone walking around the street that hasn't got a phone in their hand or let's not even call it a phone a device in, in their hand that is connected so i think what used to just be i only use out of home for brand awareness we can push people through the funnel way more in terms of you know consideration we know there's research that's been done that shows that out of home improved search results right down to during pandemic when the humble qr code suddenly found its moment 10 you know 10 10 years too late or rather it came out 10 years too early, uh, where you go, actually, I can interact it, just with a printed billboard and a QR code. It can take me straight to a client website where I can purchase something straight away. So I'm not going to be as bold as saying out of home is a performance channel. It's not, but it certainly can put, it's got a place throughout the entire funnel. And you can get someone a call to action to act immediately because they're connected in the street with a phone in their hand. And I think it is a misconception that it only can do that big brand awareness job. Yeah, it's a, it's a big part of the, the, the density restructure as well and, and how we're talking about out of home. We can capture around 10 to 15% of exposed devices to out of home campaigns now. So we, we can really track what people are doing post-exposure, whether that's walking into a store, visiting a website, downloading an app, ordering from that app or the website. We can, we can track and measure those metrics now. You know, as Martin said, the misconception is that you can't do that and it's just this top funnel awareness. But we can do full funnel measurement now. So that said, we've all seen the range of advertisements that Out of Home can bring, whether that is dynamic to practical static billboard images. There's a few questions I have within that. What makes a good Out of Home RFP or brief from a brand? 
what makes any good brief is you just go information and insight, right? Because half the time, and this isn't just part of, you know, to out of home, this is to anything. It's just someone would be like, hey, we want to be live in June. Uh, here's a budget, go. And you're like, well, excuse me, what's the, what's the KPI that we're trying to achieve? And I think that is actually, I, I, I think, a, a key factor is what are you trying to achieve with your out of home? Because if it is brand awareness, then that's it's great. There's nothing wrong with using it for that. We just need to know because I think we've probably seen Mark over the many years of, of doing this of the amount of times where, and it goes back to the previous question of things being measured, where a client will go, I want to do out of home. We ask a bunch of questions. You don't always get the answers that we need. We book a campaign and then afterwards, months down the line, a client will go, yeah, that out of home didn't work. It's like, well, what about it didn't work because if you, if we didn't know what what you couldn't say what the KPI you were trying to measure and then we didn't do that measurement how do we know if it worked or not and i think that's a big challenge if a client advertiser says we're keen to do out of home it does you know it's we want to be visible but we're not sure what we want to measure we've got a whole raft of tools and partners that we can go hey if you want to be looking at this we, this is how we could measure this and this and this but i think it's just about being clear of what the outcome is supposed to be makes that so much easier for us to plan i agree with martin i think measurement it starts with measurement what they're trying to achieve and, and how they're going to measure success a couple of other thoughts what clients like and dislike out of home is still subjective in many ways and people have their own thoughts on what it can do how it works for them, quite often, you know, we'll get an RFP in, we'll respond, uh, and then we'll be told, well, actually, we don't like this format, or the creative doesn't work. So just trying to get that information up front uh, as clearly and as quickly as possible, I think is key. Do you recommend that there's a fine balance between the both? So if you have a large advertiser looking for dynamic versus static or location-based versus fixed, is there a best practice or a best balance between doing both and a benefit of that? Or where are we headed? I don't think there's necessarily a one-size-fits-all approach to this. I think it depends on the brand. It depends on the category. That will, in many ways, determine what kind of -of out-of-home they want to buy based on location, environment, physical context. I agree with Martin. Contextual relevance is key. If you look at every other digital channel, DCO, dynamic content, is a core part of, of the offering. Out of home, yes, is this, again, upper funnel brand-led tactic largely. That doesn't mean to say you can't deliver a contextually relevant ad that's that's by location and time of day completely relevant to that audience you're trying to reach. We've seen a lot of research show that message recall increases by about 53% on average when we do run some kind of contextual relevance or dynamic copy. That's huge, particularly just for making out of home impressions work harder. So we're trying to push that data-led approach to creative and media as much as we possibly can at the moment. You know, we're talking about contextual relevance in dynamic and of making it really hyper-local. Let's not forget that out of home by its very nature, even static, can add contextual relevance, right? So if I'm doing a static ad and it happens to be in outside a grocery store, that's different to a static ad that might be in a washroom in a bar versus a gym locker room but even when you're looking at static we still and that goes back to the OCS study that we do of looking at attitudes and what people are thinking etc 
we can still add contextual relevance in out of home by thinking about the environment and when people are most likely going to be in that environment using it day of week, et cetera. It's just that the digital part really allows us to make it hyper-local at scale. So you could have a separate message for every single digital screen in a campaign, which could be a thousand plus. And, yeah, and, and it can make everything feel completely relevant to that exact moment, that location, that time of day, et cetera. So just the dynamic piece just helps hone the contextual relevance to much hyper-local part of it. That makes sense. What have been some of the biggest advancements in measurement in Adahan? I would say now, I mean, first and foremost, just the ability to capture exposed devices. We can, as I said, we can capture about 10 to 15%, which while it's not a one-to-one play like many other digital channels, you think about the number of impressions you buy in out of home, 10 to 15% is a huge number of people. So it gives you a robust measurement study, whatever you're measuring. I think probably the biggest advancement over the last couple of years is, is digital event measurement, and particularly the ability for us to measure moving media as well, things like taxis, buses, transit. So it's not in a fixed location at any one time, but there are methodologies that enable us to to capture those devices and measure effectively their actions post-exposure. But Martin, you may have other ideas. No, I I agree. I totally agree with that. And I think you're right about obviously the exposure of devices, but then it's also the fact, the granularity then of how we can carve that data up or, or how we target with that data through, you know, PII data and, and, and M1. I think previously, you know, at best, we would be able to measure and it would be done on a adults 25 to 45 or, you know, a pure demographic base. So I think that it's, it's, it's capturing devices, but also then understanding, I say who's behind that device. Obviously, we don't know individuals, but, but you get my drift in terms of a we do have just a much better way of being able to offer up, you know, tangible measurement that isn't just this broad, yes, awareness went up from 94% to 96% against 25 to 44-year-olds. It's like groundbreaking, you know. It's like I'm I'm Budweiser. Of course, I knew my awareness was already high or whatever, whoever brand it, it might be. So, you know, that's definitely, I think, a, a, a huge progress. And are there areas where you're most frustrated by the lack of progress? Oh, yes. This might be a bit controversial here. I think like in the out-of-time space, the amount of media owners, vendors operating in out-of-home, being that it's a sort of a national product, but on a very local level, is runs into the thousands of vendors. Now, some of them very big with huge, big city contracts and, and are in... 40 of the 50 states and that's great and there are some players who have got you know five billboards in in new jersey and and that's i'm not knocking their, their 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 business model but when those small players want to be working with big national brands i think there is still a lack of those small players don't want to necessarily get audited or you know have the data behind their product now, there's two, two sides of this that will go, well, we can't really buy you unless we we need to know what we're buying here. We need some data behind it, and we need that to be consistent across all of the vendors we're buying with. The flip side is they go, it's too expensive for us to get audited to know and have all of that data behind it. So I see both sides of it, but to me, that is a frustration of 
for all that we want to do and advance the industry, there are just some players and it's not as easy to go, just cut them out. Like when you're working on something that's about a geographical location, sometimes you, if a client wants to be in a certain town and that's the vendor that has the billboards in that town, we don't really have a choice to be like, no, no, they're not audited. I'm not going to buy them or they can't be part of this measurement study. And I think to me, that's a frustration is that the size of the players in the market go from the huge billion dollar companies to some really small mom and pop out of home operators and they don't all operate off the same playbook. Interesting. Yeah, that actually has a knock-on effect to my frustration, which is we've we've got this amazing ability now to measure out of home in new ways and ways that we were never able to do so, but you're still just measuring out of home. We're measuring it in silo. I think what we need to be better at as an industry is the omnichannel piece. So whether that's multi-touch attribution, mixed media modeling, trying to incorporate out of home within those studies to show its impact on the wider media plan not just what happens if you include or exclude out of home. The first step of that is really getting better reporting data, which we're trying to do as an industry. But again, as Martin said, if you don't have the the audited data from from a lot of billboard players or it's inconsistent or part missing, you're going to really struggle to incorporate out of home into those mixed media modeling and and multi-touch attribution if, if the data is not there. And it is still such as a, a, a fra- and I know every channel has got its fragmentation, right? Let's, I'm not pretending that any other channel is perfect. And I'm, I'm going to put my British European hat back on here. Both Mark and I, many years ago, worked in out of home in the UK. And there's probably three or four vendors who control about 80, probably percent of the inventory. Now, I know people would be like, oh, is that, you know, unfair competition and all of that. Yeah, that's a whole separate argument. But it did just mean that they were far easier to for those three players to kind of dictate and say, we're all going to do this and anyone else had to follow. And I think in the US, if you put the top three vendors in the US together, I don't know an exact amount, but I'd probably say more like a 35, 40% of the market as opposed to 80, 85. So it's just much harder to, to drag everyone else along. When I say drag, it does make it sound a bit derogatory, but let's say there's just a lot of partners and we need everyone to kind of be singing off the same song sheet. And, and right now, we're just not. So leaning into the future, what does the future out-of-home expert look like? What kind of skill sets will need to be improved? I think programmatic is just going to become a, a larger part of what we do, automation in general, but, but particularly programmatic and real-time bidding. I still think that, that whilst we've been good at this and we've scaled the knowledge and the capability in-house, it's still not universal and, and not everyone understands it. And I think that's true of the industry. So I think we've got a lot of work to do across the entire out-of-home industry to bring everyone up to speed on the benefits, the do's and don'ts around programmatic particularly. Taking that a bit broader is we don't need everyone to be a statistician or you know a, a maths whiz, but we definitely have to have people who understand data. Because you know, we're we're awash with with data and it's about how do you take that and then get insight from it to then to do planning. And I don't want to take the creativity out of the business because I think there's a danger we go so far down the data and analytics routes that 
you go, that's not how humans think. Like where is a bit of sometimes the creativity behind it is what makes something stand out. All the data in the world can't necessarily tell, tell you that. It just happens. So I think you've got to get that sort of balance. But I do think we can't have people who go, I've been doing this for a long while and I know this, that, you know, that's not data, that's sample size of one. And even if it might be true, and even if the data ends up creating the same plan that you'd have been like, well, I could have just done this on my own. It's like, we just need to be, I think, better at being able to understand data. And, and that's something that, you know, I think is probably happening in every other channel as well. It's not just an out of, of, out of home thing. And it's the age-old question of, you know, where does art meet science? And I think out of home being that upper funnel brand awareness, big creative canvas, looks flashy, all of those things from from the past meant that it was probably easier to lean on the side of art um, when you were planning out of home. And I think we need to skew a bit more to science, but not lose the art. Don't know where the balance is. If I had that, I'd have the big corner office and a seven-figure salary. But alas, I do not have either of those things. All right, well, we'll come back to you in five years and see where that's at. What's the one thing you would advise brands right now who might not be playing in the out-of-home space that much? I would have the conversation. I think that's the, the first step for me. I think there are a lot of brands, there are a lot of marketers who don't actually understand the full capabilities in the out-of-home space, whether that is the ways in which you can buy now, the application of data, the ability to segment their audiences beyond demographics, as Martin said, dynamic content, you know, we're still presenting this stuff to clients and, and some of them seem surprised by what we can actually do. It's an education game, it really is. So I think just having that conversation and understanding what can be done to, to tackle their KPIs, I think is, is a really good start. I'll ask one question off of that. Is there a test and trial basis or is that not how a marketer should approach this channel? A hundred percent, they should be test and trial, right? Because out of home can be as hyper local as buying one billboard on one street, or it can be a completely national campaign, right? There's so many permutations. So there's not like a, oh, yes, you can only do out of home if you come in full on, do this, this, and this. I think, especially as we've been talking about measurement, and, and, and it's not even, you know, measurement of download of apps, or you know, there's, say, lots of different KPIs we can look at. I just think. Uh, it's partly goes back to that education. If we think of out of home, probably, you know, it's around four, maybe 5% share of media dollars go to out of home in the US, right? And it has been languishing at that number for probably about the last 20 years. So, you know, even if overall spend keeps rising, we're still not actually really, we're just following a rising market. It's not really shifting share. So on that basis, you think about if a client at best is only putting 4% of their dollars into out of home, they're probably only spending 4% of their time thinking about it. And when you think media as part of a uh, marketer's overall thing, media is probably only X percent of their day. So you suddenly go out of home is just kind of falls off the radar for some clients just because it's not that they think it's bad or wouldn't work. They're just like, I've got too many other things to think about. So I do think it is about we have to have those conversations. And, and I've had plenty of those conversations when we can get in front of a, of a client that they do go, wow, I didn't know all of these things could be done in out of home. So absolutely. And there is test and learn. And also from vendor partners right now. 
especially in this this market, it doesn't even necessarily have to always be a cost to client. Like we can work ways of being able to do test and learn scenarios. So if we look five years out beyond Martin, you having a corner office, what is your biggest, boldest prediction for the out-of-home category? I think you're going to see a lot of consolidation. And I think you're going to see big players like Google and Amazon make a real play in the out-of-home space. If you think about the amount of data these two companies have got in particular, particularly location data, which can be applied to out-of-home planning and buying, I think they could make a real move in the next couple of years. Google already has its DSP. They're developing out-of-home capabilities. Amazon is probably doing the same. So I would expect in the next couple of years, those two to come in and and start potentially buying up vendors and and making a real play in the out-of-home space. I agree with that. But I also think that, okay, we said five years, I don't know the exact timeframe, but in the way that probably 10 years ago, we didn't, you know, there used to be a TV department and et cetera. Now we kind of just had video investment where linear TV and uh, connected TV and YouTube video are all kind of being bought holistically as video. I do wonder whether out of home with mobile and some other things would come together that you go, do we talk about location, you know, and think about that as a mix that we won't necessarily have out of home on its own. And now it's a square area because obviously mobile, probably part of that falls under, you know, video plays on YouTube, on phones. Like it's not easy to navigate, but I do wonder whether we will, you know, move towards what are channels or parts of channels that are grounded in location and what and then obviously the behaviors that someone's doing in that location at that time last question before we go to the lightning round why do you love this business it's different every day every client you work on every campaign and project you work on throws up for something new you always learn you always develop it's a fast-changing landscape as well so if you think about you know the digitization of out of home where we're going there from a buying planning content point of view is ever-changing and it keeps it fresh. Yeah, I think the last, I'll say five years, but we'll probably extend it to 10 years because I'm probably a little bit, I forgot the last two years kind of were a blip that we've all forgotten about already. But yeah, over the last 10 years, out of home has probably shifted more than the combined hundred years before. Because out of home, you know, think about it, the, the original the original media, Wild West posters being put, you know, that was kind of like before any other channel existed, posters and out of home's been there. And I just think there was very, very little change for so, so many years. And now the speed of that change, now it's great. As Mark says, every day is a new challenge. Every day is different. We're constantly learning. Also, flip side of that is absolutely exhausting. But hey, that's that's modern media. But yes, I think, and I think there is still so much scope for what can be done right now in out of home and in the future. I'm looking forward to the day where finally we can say out of home isn't just four percent of media dollars anymore. That it can be five, six, ten percent and just play a much bigger role in, in the mix it's harder to do a, a broadcast audience anymore and out of home still can reach millions and millions of people i love that and you didn't get the boring police anymore you got a hunk from yeah someone. yeah so yeah clearly they agree <laughs> but yeah the fun bus gave me a honk <laughs> <laughs> i love how you named them too you definitely have been listening to these sounds far too much <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest 
I hadn't named them until you just brought them up. But obviously, <laughs> it must have subconsciously been in my head because I did come out with those names quite easily. Yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. All right, into the lightning round, which is never really the lightning round, but we will always try. Favorite digital experience? I really like the Burger King example from the UK. Used augmented reality, and essentially you followed the trail of smoke to the nearest Burger King restaurant. Impressive. Interestingly, actually, I saw another Burger King example, showing all the love to Burger King here, where they were saying that, you know, McDonald's didn't do flame grilled and they did. And if you held your phone up to a McDonald's ad on the augmented reality, it looked like the McDonald's ad basically caught fire. And it was just like, we give flame grilled. So I have to say Burger King are actually very, very good at doing experiences in out-of-home to sort of capture that stuff. Best piece of content recently consumed? Advertising content or just any kind of content? Any. TV, show, movie. A book. I'm not going to lie. I did actually see the Downton Abbey movie trailer two days ago. And I, I, you know, watched the series, but I'm totally sold on going to see that movie for sure. For me, it's got to be the latest series of Billions. Okay. All-time favorite band or song? Oof, that's an unfair question. My all-time favorite band is Blink-182. Okay. I don't think I've got an all-time favorite band, but if someone was like, if, if ever an Elton John song comes on, I know I'm not going to be disappointed with that. Okay, fair. We'll, we'll count that one. Favorite creator or biggest inspiration? Should I tell you what? Recently, I, I went to the, uh, I'd say Van Gogh, but here you'd say Van Gogh, I guess. That's, you know, tomato, tomato. And I saw the digital experience here in New York, which took his artwork and did it as a big interactive installation. You're in a big room and it projects all over the place. And suddenly seeing someone's very, very famous paintings that we probably all recognize, but suddenly seeing them brought to life digitally where they were moving really made me look into those that work in a far more in-depth way. And actually it was both inspiring to see, but also just sitting in a big room with this all-consuming digital experience for about, it lasted about 40 minutes, was also just a great, you know, we don't do that enough of just going, I'm just going to sit back and just look at what's going on around me. I like that. Not everything is the pop-up ice cream shop. Yes. (laughs) Mark, you got anything for us? Not necessarily content creator. I would say my biggest inspiration is probably my dad. Great answer. That counts. That definitely counts. Best career advice given or received? (laughs) All right. I don't know if this is the best career advice I've ever been given, but it's certainly one true. When I moved here to the U.S., and my boss here was also going to, was British at the time. Well, he still is British, but he's not my boss anymore. That's the point. Um, anyway, he said, be mindful whenever you're in a meeting. He said, there's always an asshole in the room. And he went, when you're here in the US, he goes, nine times out of 10, it's normally the British guy. And he said, just make sure it's not you. Don't think because your British accent's going to cut through or that you don't sound like everyone else, that it's going to make you smarter. And I have done my best to ensure that for the last 11 years I've been here. Of, And I've been in plenty of other meetings where 
someone's been an arsehole and the voice behind it is British. And it's not Mark, by the way. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's Just you, Mark. Just about to tee that yeah. up. I was yeah. like, so you're so, telling me it's so, Mark so, today. Over to you, Mark. No, we've got, there's quite a few Brits here at Dentsu and in plenty of other media companies. I'm not even saying they're all Dentsu people at all. But yes, I was given that advice of don't be the arsehole in the room. And I've taken that uh, to heart. And the reason why it wasn't me is because Martin also gave me that advice when I moved to the US. So I was very aware of it. <laughs> it's, it's the only bit of advice. Anytime anyone comes through that I ever meet here who's who's British who just moves here, whether they work for Dents or anywhere else, it's the only bit of advice I've got for anyone moving to a new city or in the US. <laughs> well, thank God I'm not British because it would have been me. So here we are. <laughs> So I'd say probably the best piece of advice I was given is don't be afraid to show your vulnerable side. I think early on in my career, I always wanted to be the guy who was, you know, kind of supportive of everyone, strong, but actually you connect with people a lot more if you show that you're like them and you've got that vulnerable side. So that was a great piece of advice. That is a great piece of advice. Well, Martin and Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. You've been amazing guests and we will have you back not in five years, but hopefully in a year to really gut check everything that's been moving and out of home. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. And thanks again for listening to another episode of The Human Element. You can find us anywhere you can find your pods. Give us a like, subscribe, or send us a note. We'll be back out to you real soon. And in the meantime, be well. Be well.